Masechet Yoma, Daf 39, we begin the fourth pedic, and we begin with the, the lottery between the two goats. So Mishnah teaches, Taraf shene godalot. The word Taraf means to mix. He'd mix together, remember there's a box with two uh, placards in them, and so he'd mix them up, and he would rem- uh, take out the two lotteries. Ehad katuv alav l'ashem, ehad katuv alav la'azazel. Right, one of the placards says it'll be for God, other one will be for Azazel. And just like we mentioned before, the Kohen stands in the middle, and the deputy Kohen, the one that would take over in case the Kohen became Pasul, that's the Sagan, he stands on the right side. Roshbet Av, the head of that family, uh, of the a family of Kohanim, uh, stands on the left. So whichever one t- turns out to be Hashem, the, that person who's standing on the side will announce. So if the, the one shel Shem, uh, he picks it up in his right hand, he puts his two hands in right and left, picks them up. If it happens to be the right hand, then the Sagan who is to his, to his right will say, uh, Mr. Kohen Gadol, pick up your right hand. And then everybody will know that the goat that is standing to his right is the one that's Lashem. And if it turns out that the one Shem, the one that's going to be sacrificed in the Mizbeach, he picked up with his left hand, then the Rosh Bet Av, who's standing on his left, said, Master Kohen Gadol, lift up your left hand, and that will that would show everyone that the goat that's that's to the left is going to be the one that's Shel Shem. In general, it was considered a good sign if the right, the one on his right, is the one that's Lashem. The one on the left, like, oh, oh I don't know if this is going to be a good year. Okay, so we, we, we hope that it's going to be the one on the right. Once he picks them up and he raises one of the hands, he places those placards on each of the goat. And then he announces, this one is for Hashem as a hatat. And that designates it as, as that chatat. The Bishmael disagrees. He doesn't de- designate it at this point as a chatat. He'll do that later. Now he just says, Lashem. That's all, that's all he has to say. Since he said Hashem's name, he says it. So every, like every time that everyone answers, Okay, that is the Mishnah, straightforward. Uh, Gemara asks, Why do you have to mix it? Why don't you just put his hands in and take them out? The answer is, So he doesn't cheat, right? Uh, he knows that it's a good omen to get the, the right with the Lashem on the right. And so if he doesn't mix it, he can like, you know, look in before and arrange them. So therefore he has to, to mix it. So uh, because the Torah says it has to be a lottery. A lottery means it has to be random by chance. Um, so he can't, he can't fix it. This box was made out of wood and it was not consecrated. It was not a Kodesh item. And it only was big enough to fit two hands. You can put your two hands in and the two items that were in it. Uh, we're going to explain the reasons for each of these. The reason why it can't be bigger than two for two hands is that you shouldn't be able to feel around and you know feel, oh, this one uh, has more letters on it that says uh, Azazel. 
uh, um, and, and so on. Although we mentioned earlier that it was turned into gold, right? That was donated, uh, gold one was donated by Yoshua Gamla, Gamla Rava is saying from the letter of the law, it can be made out of wood. It does not have to be gold. So here we're going to question. So I understand why it should be not too big, only small enough that he can fit his hands in so that he won't uh, uh, fix the, uh, the lottery. But why is it unconsecrated? You're using it for a holy purpose. You're picking this Yom Kippur service. Why not make it consecrated? The answer is, the answer is because all are made out of metal. They're never made out of wood. And so you, it's impossible to make a, a wooden vessel uh, consecrated. So that's why it's not consecrated. So now the question is, why not? Why doesn't the Torah mandate that should be silver or gold? The answer is, the Torah spares the, the money of Jewish people, shouldn't have to go through extra expense. Uh, we learned this halacha from uh, when uh, someone has uh, mold in their house and the coin comes to check it. If he says, you know what, this, I think this is sadat, before he announces it, he says, listen, yeah, it might be a good idea. Take all the furniture out. Take everything out, right? All the vessels. And then he says, okay, it's sadat now, right? And that's in the Torah. So you see that the Torah um, cares about people's money and shouldn't have to uh, waste because all the earthenware vessels you have to break. So we learn that principle from there. Now, if you really follow that principle through, then how come the Torah does require gold and silver for so much of the, of the Mishkan? And the answer to, to that is things that are going to be necessary for an official avodah, you want to bring glory to them. So yes, those need to be made out of, uh, made out of metal. But the, the lottery we're going to see is not an official avodah, according to most opinions. And so since it's not, you can use gold. So therefore, the Torah says, uh, you can use wood, therefore you can use wood. Happens to be that someone want, uh, this rich uh, Kohen wanted to donate, so kol kabod. If he feels like donating it, you can make it out of gold. Matnitin delaki haytana detanya rabi yehuda omer mishum rabi eliyazer hasegan vechohen gadol machnisin yadan bekalpi. So our Mishnah said that the Kohen gadol puts his right and left hand into the box to pull it out, and this that disagrees with this beraita. Uh, who is aware we have Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Eliezer that we like to use only right hands. We don't want any left hands because all of all services in the Beit HaMikdash, you're always using your right hand. Um, and so instead you have the Segan, the deputy Kohen Gadol who's standing on his right and the Kohen Gadol, they each put their right hands into the box. If the Kohen Gadol picks out the one that says Lashem, then the Sagan, who's standing next to him, the Sagan pulled out the other one, Azazel, the Sagan will say, Ishi, Kohen Gadol, He'll say, like we said before, oh, look, Kohen Gadol, you got the Lashem. Pick up your right hand and everybody will know that it's the one uh, on his right that is, uh, became the one Lashem. But if the Sagan ended up picking up the one that's, uh, that's Lashem, then Rosh Bet Av, who's standing on his left, uh, he says, say your words. He can't pick up his hand because he's not holding the one Lashem. The, the Sagan is holding the one Lashem. So instead he says, oh, the one on the left is going to be Lashem. He just announces it without picking up any, any hands. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be proper for the Sagan to pick up his hands because he's the Sagan. He's not the main guy. 
Um, so the Kohen Gadol has to be the one designating it. And so he says it verbally. Um, now, question is, how come the Rosh Bet Av is the one that instructs the Kohen Gadol to announce it? How come the Sagan doesn't tell the Kohen Gadol, oh, I got the, I got the one Lashem, announce it, right? Announce it as the one on the left. The answer is, because the Kohen Gadol, if he didn't pick the, 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 the one Lashem, and it's the Sagan who did pick the one that Hashem said, oh, I got it. You didn't get it. Okay, announce that I got it. Uh, it's not befitting. The, the Kohen Gadol will feel depressed, discouraged, like, uh, you know, he did a bad job. So the Rosh Bet Av, who is independent, he's a third party. He didn't pick out, he didn't pick out anything. So therefore, it's more appropriate to the Rosh Bet Av to say, oh, look, the Sagan got it. So Kohen Gadol, now it's your job to say, it's the one on the left will be the one Lashem. All right, good. So now we figured that out. We asked, our Mishnah and this Baraita, uh, what's the essence of their Machloket? The Tanav, this Baraita says, right hands are always better. And the right hand of the deputy is more important than the left hand of the Kohen Gadol. So two right hands, even if it's not Kohen Gadol, always do the right hands. But the author of our Mishnah, who says the Kohen Gadol puts his right and left, says it's the same, it's equal. Kohen's left hand is equal to the Sagan's right hand. And therefore, we prefer everything be with the Kohen Gadol. The Sagan's there for backup. He's, you know, like the vice president. He never does anything. They sit there, twiddle their thumbs. Um, that's the way it should be. Who is the one that argues with Rabbi Yehuda and is the author of Amishnah? Well, we can identify him as Rabbi Chaninas, the Sagan Kohanim. He was one Sagan, but um, uh, he, interestingly, the, he, he was the Sagan Kohanim, but he says the Kohen Gadol should do everything. Why is the Sagan stand on his right side the whole time? Just in case that there should be any problem with the Kohen Gadol, he can step right in and be there. You see that he, he, he says that, that the only reason he's there is to step in. He doesn't do anything else, right? And otherwise he would have said he's on his right because he, he uses his right hand. He doesn't say anything like that. And therefore he's only there to watch and be there just in case, with no, has no other role. Very interesting. Okay, now that we mentioned that sometimes it was be on the, the right and sometimes on the left, but it was a good omen. If it was if it was the, the one on the right was the goat that was Lashem. So now we mention some miraculous occurrences that during the 40 years of Shimon Hasadik, whenever when he was Kohen Gadol, he was Kohen Gadol for a nice long time, and he was, he was righteous, he was uh, praised by everybody. And so he uh, miraculously always got it in his right hand. But after him, uh, sometimes it was on the right, sometimes it was on the left, right? We mentioned that after Shimon HaSadiq, it was all downhill. You had uh, Onias, Choni, he was a good guy. But after that, you had Jason and Menelaus, the very evil Kohanim Gedolim. And so they were not worthy of having such a miracle happen to them. Now we'll mention a few other miracles that happened to Shimon HaSadiq. 
Mikan ve'elach pamim albin, pamim eno malbin. There was a strip of crimson wool that was tied to the head of the Kohen, of, of the goat, and uh, that was sent to Azazel, and half of it they, they, uh, they left behind on the rock. And during the time of Shimon HaSadiq, it turned into white to say, right, if, even if your sins are like uh, crimson, and that was a sign that it worked, that they got, they got atonement. But that only happened during the 40 years of Shimon HaSadiq. After that, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. Another miracle, even though they light all seven of the menorot, uh, uh, all seven of the lamps of the menorah at the same time, right, uh, at, uh, at night, um, nevertheless, in the morning, the westernmost one would continue and burn. The westernmost means the one closest to the Kodesh, uh, Kodesh Kodeshim. And that would continue uh, and, and last longer than the others. That all 40 years of Shimon HaSadik that happened. And after that, sometimes it did uh, lasted longer. Sometimes it didn't last longer. Another miracle, Vaya Esh. Um, by the way, something about Shimon HaSadik, we, we know some uh, significant about him historically. We have a contemporary of his, is a man named Yoshua Ben Sirah. Ben Sirah is famous because he wrote a book, the book of Ben Sirah, which we still have. It was discovered in the Cairo Geniza in the original Hebrew, uh, but was, uh, was uh, remembered in the Apocrypha in Greek. And in the last chapter of Ben Sirah, he gives a, uh, a description of the Kohen Gadol in his time, who was Shimon HaSadiq. And he says, how splendid was Shimon HaSadiq um, when he came out of the Beta Mikdash, he emerged from the inner chamber like a star of, of light between the trees, like a full moon during a festival. This sounds familiar because in our Avodah and Musaf, all the way at the end, it says, right, how great was the Kohen Gadol, right? right? Kahlama, and it has this, uh, that whole poem. That poem uh, is very similar to the description in Ben Sirah. So it just gives you a sense of what contemporaries uh, thought of Shimon HaSadiq. This is not only the Gemara later giving him praise, right? His own uh, uh, friends, uh, uh, contemporaries, you know, uh, looked at him like, uh, the, like the, the light of the moon, light of the sun. Okay. And the fire that burned on the pyre of the Mizbeach uh, continued to burn strongly all day. They didn't have to add, add, add any firewood. Um, except for the two that they have to bring, the two logs that they have to bring in the morning and the afternoon, that's a must, but they, they didn't need it. Um, uh, because that's just a mitzvah. But after the time of Shimon HaSadik, sometimes it lasted strong, sometimes they had to add wood. Sometimes the Kohanim had to bring, all day long they had to bring more wood to keep it going, that miracle stopped. Another miracle that the these meal or these uh, this bread that the Kohanim would eat, um, the the Ome that was brought on the second day of Pesach from barley, and Shalechem that was brought on Shavuot, Lechem Apanim, the twelve loaves that were every Shabbat, the Kohanim eat them. There were two benefits. First of all, the, this, it was like so much that every coin got a kezayit, and that one kezayit filled them up. Some of them, they couldn't even finish the kezayit, so it was very filling, miraculously filling bread. 
מכאן ואילך נשתלחה מארה בעומר ובשתי הלך ואילך עם הפנים וכל כהן מגיעו כפול ועשינו מושכין את ידיהן והגרענין נוטלין ואוכלין. And from then on, a curse occurred to all this bread, and then each Kohen, first of all, could not get a whole kezayit. It was just only a little. They could get only a bean's worth. And there was so much that those who were Sanoa said, you know, we can't fulfill the mitzvah properly without a kezayit, so that they wouldn't, they wouldn't even take uh, any. And uh, then other Kohanim would grab those, uh, would grab it because not only did they not have enough, it also wasn't filling. There was one Kohen who took his own and grabbed some of the, the bread of the others who didn't have it. And until today, until the time, day of his death, he was known as the son of a robber, right? Because he grabbed everybody's, everybody else's bread. This word, Hamsan, where, where, where do we ever see that Hamsan means a robber? The answer is these two pesukim, Elohai paleteni miyad rasha, mikaf me'avel ve'chometz. There you go. So this chometz uh, is compared to uh, other wicked, unrighteous people. Or another pasuk, Rabama me'achalim du eteb dirshu mishpat asheru chometz. What's chometz? Asheru chometz, ba'at asheru chometz. So strengthen those who are robbed. And do not, that's the opposite of, not, don't strengthen those who are the robbers. So chometz is the robber. Chamotz uh, is that, that person who is robbed. Uh, good. Um, okay, so that's all the miracles that happened during the time of Shimon HaSadiq. Yeah. So all these things that they're calling miracles, I mean, did they believe they were really miracles or are they explaining it like Gemara that way? Is like that? Because, I mean, this is already the second temple and now there's no more, you know, everything is done. Right. So what are these things? This is this is happening. This is because of miracle. This is the bread and yeah. the bread. Okay, so maybe, maybe instead of miracle, you say they're they're good good signs, right? They're they're signs that this is you know this is not a good thing happening. Uh, like you know when uh, when we read uh, when we say Mashiba Domer Degeshem and it rains that day, I say we see how we all say I see how it worked. It was good. You know we like. But we're the, praying for the season. That you know, I, I, know just, nice... I mean that's our take. I understand, but right. I'm just saying. Now you're hearing these Chachamim. They're talking about the Abuda and the Mikdash. And these are miracles that they're trying to tell you. This is what really happened as miracles. Do they right. believe it's their miracles, or I, I'm, I'm asking you a question that's I, I realize it's philosophical, but <laughs> right. You yes, know, they, I think, I think they, they looked. You know, they they're doing all this work. Is, did it work? Did it happen? You know, did we get answered? And so they, you know, they're hoping that uh, that did. So they they're looking for signs from Shemaim to to see. So yes, I think I think they did think of them as as uh, positive signs. Um, okay, yeah, good point. That, that, that year that Shimon HaSadiq died, he predicted it himself. He said, in this year, he will die. He's referring to himself in third person, right? He knew he was going to die. What's the story? How do you know you're going to die this year? Every year for the past 40 years, whenever I'm going to Kodesh Kodashim, I see, uh, I, I see an old, elder a man dressed all in white and uh, his head wrapped in white. He went in with me and, and came out with me. It represents the Shekhinah. Shekhinah was, you know, was uh, a side by side with him. Uh, but this year that figure was dressed all in black 
and he went in with me, but he didn't leave with me. So I know this is my last shot. After Sukkot, seven, he got, he was sick for seven days and he died. And after that, the Kohanim no longer blessed Birkat Kohanim with Shema Meforash. They no longer uh, said Shema Meforash. So this is a key turning point uh, because you know we know at some point the Bet Mikdash they said Shema Meforash, and at some point they stopped. Um, you know we have a remnant of the Shema Meforash even in our own Tefillah on Sukkot on the Hoshanot. We say right Ani Vahu Oshiana. And everybody, what does that mean? Aniva, who, me and him, both of them, both of us will, will save us. What are you talking about? If you look carefully, it's Ana, Yud Kevavke, Hoshi Ana, right? You just, we put the Yud with the Ana, and so we split up into two words. But look at it later carefully. You'll see that that's still a remnant of, uh, we don't know exactly how Hashem's name was pronounced, but it's something like that. Okay. So 40 years before the Chorban Abayit, in other words, the, the, the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed in 70 CE. So 40 years before that from 30 CE, um, no, these miracles never happened. So we have three stages. Shimon HaSadik, he was back in the second century BCE, a long time ago. And during his 40 years of, of uh, Kohen Gadol, they always had miracles. From that time on, for about you know uh, 150 years, you had sometimes yes, sometimes no. The last 40 years was nothing at all. Uh, not none of these miracles happened. Um, this is um, uh, Christians picked up on this uh, on this Talmud big time because Yeshu was killed in the year 30. So they looked at this. And, oh, see, there's some kind of uh, correlation. So this is a very uh, this is probably the most one of the most well-known Talmudic sources in uh, in uh, Messianic Christian circles. You can find you'll find it on a lot of their websites. And one time, the doors of the of the hechal opened on their own. Now these are huge, big, heavy doors that, you know, every morning they have to go and open them with a lot of people. And they opened on their own and that was a bad omen. In other words, letting in the, the, the enemies. The enemies, you know, come, I'm not, I'm not protected. And Rabbi Yochan ben Zakai, who was the greatest sage at that time, he yelled at the doors and rebuked them. Sanctuary, why are you frightening yourself? Why are you making these signs? Okay, okay, it's bad enough that the enemy will come one day. You don't have to invite them in. You don't have to give this bad omen. I know that in one day you're going to be destroyed. And Zechariah already said this. I mean, Zechariah's is, a, is prophesying in the beginning of the second Beit HaMikdash period. And he says, you know, one day, open your doors, uh, Lebanon uh, is reference to the Beit HaMikdash, and fire will devour your cedar. So opening of the doors on their own is a bad sign. Um, okay, so this is very interesting. And this is the reason why I happened to see those Christian websites, because there I was looking for another reference to it in Josephus. Um, this, this story of the doors opening on their own is mentioned in Josephus in uh, the War of the Jews. And he says here, the eastern gate of the inner temple was seen to be opened 
of its own accord at the sixth hour of the night, right in the middle of the night. And those who kept watching the temple came running to the captain of the temple and told him of it, who then came, came up and not uh, here and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. They were trying to push it closed. Uh, this also appeared to the masses to be a very happy uh, prod prodigy as if God did thereby open the gate of happiness. People thought it was good. But the men of learning understood it that the, sec the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord and that the gate was open for the advantage of their enemies. So these publicly declared that the signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. What an amazing Josephus, right? I mean, uh, and uh, he's describing the whole scene in detail. And the two, you know, most people would say, oh, the door's opening. Oh, well, you know, it's inviting. So no, no, you have to read Zechariah. You'll know that this is a bad omen. So this is amazing that uh, this uh, is recorded in, these, in both Josephus and in the Talmud. In this case, we have yet a third uh, source Tacitus is a Roman historian. Uh, he doesn't like the Jews too much. He writes some negative things about them. Uh, and he, wrote, he writes, the doors of the inner shrine were suddenly thrown open and a voice of a more than mortal tone was heard to cry that the gods were departing. At that time, there was a mighty stir as of departure. So Tacitus thinks, uh, uh, the way he understands it is, doors opening and God, he writes in plural, whatever. So, you know, the Shekhinah is leaving. Um, that's probably not exactly correct, was, uh, according to Zechariah, uh, uh, about the enemies coming in. But anyway, this was a very famous occurrence uh, for it to be found in all three of these sources. So really super interesting. Why is it better Because from the word Lavan, it makes the sins of Israel white. There's a simpler reason because it was built out of the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, but this uh, this reason is more meaningful. Another pasuk that calls it Bet Yar, the forest of Lebanon. Why is it called a forest? Just like a forest bloomed, so too the Bet Mikdash bloomed. What are you talking about? When Shalomo built the first Bet HaMikdash, he planted golden fruit. And sure enough, there were golden trees that made, that produced golden fruit every season. And the wind would come and the, this golden fruit would fall. As Pasuk and Telim says, his fruits rustle like, like Lebanon and the Kohanim would take them and they could sell them and they could get a livelihood. Um, okay, so whatever you thought about the miracles before, uh, gold, gold growing on trees, that is certainly miraculous. When the non-Jews took it over, no, no benefit to them. They don't get the golden fruit. Those blossoms withered. That the will blossom abundantly and will rejoice. The glory of Lebanon, meaning the Betamikdash, will come back to it. So um, that's something to look forward to. Okay, now the next part of Mishnah says that after he, he, he picks the two placards, he places them, one on the right goat and one on the left goat. 
זה לא לבנן. עשר פעמים מזכיר כהן גדול את השם בו ביום. And so he mentioned when he, uh, the one that says he, he announces, right? This is the one, this one's going to be Lashem or Lashem Hatat. So he says Hashem's name, B'Shem HaMeforash, and everybody answers. Shelosha bevidui lishon, shelosha bevidui sheni, yushelosha besayr mishtalech ve'achad begoralot. So now I mentioned that all together on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol said Hashem's name, Meforash, ten times. Ten times special for Yom Kippur. What are they? Three for the first vidui, which was just for his house, uh, his family. Three for the second vidui, which was for all the kohanim on the pad. And the third one was the vidui for all for all Bnei Israel. That was on Sadim and Mishtadech. And each vidui, he starts with saying, Ana Bashem, Hatan Rabin, right? And then he says again, Ana Bashem, right? And at the end, um, he says Hashem's name three third time. So each vidui is three times, three vidui's is nine. And when he does the Goralot, which is actually before the Sayyid, then he uh, says, this one's going to be Lashem Hatat, that's 10. Another miracle, when he said that God's name reverberated, and you can hear it as far as Jericho, many miles away. It's 10 parsangs is the distance, and that's so all around, you could hear the Kohen Gadol, say Shema Meforash. Vesir daltot ha'echal nishma b'shmone techome Shabbat. Other sounds was the door, the creaking of the doors, opening of the sanctuary that was so heavy, it was such a big deal, that that was heard for eight meal all around. Uh, they didn't have WD-40 back then. But uh, this was, uh, you know, I guess, a good thing that uh, everybody knows, announcement, the Bet HaMikdash is opening. Azim shebirichoa lumit ateshot merech ketoret. And the smell of the ketoret uh, spread all the way till Jericho also until the goats there would sneeze <laughs> from the smell. And the woman that lived in Jericho did not have to put on perfume because they smelled good just from the remnant of the smell of the ketoret. And kalash kashet ketoret a bride in Jerusalem did not have to, mit kashet is more than mit basem. Mit basem is like just deodorant, just enough so you don't smell bad. Mit kashet is the bride would have, you know, a lot of, would, would uh, a, you know, a lot of fragrance. So um, that, that much didn't make it all the way to Jericho. But in Jerusalem, it was, it was sufficient even for what a bride would usually have. So that's a, um, also a wonder, beautiful miracle. Amar Rabbi Yosef ben Dol Gai. Um, he said, uh, my father had goats in the hills of Michmar. Michmar is, is far is even farther, uh, it's about 40 kilometers away from, from Jerusalem, even east of the Dead Sea. And uh, this was a, 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 a Hasmonean fortress was built there. And my, my father's goats, they would also sneeze from this. Uh, this uh, sage one time he went to Shiloh where the Mishkan used to be and he could still smell uh, the remnant of the fragrance from the time of the Shoftim when the, when the, when the um, Mishkan was at Shiloh is still in the walls of that city. Uh, you can go there today and test it out. Uh, question, Joelle? Yeah, I mean, in a way, a similar question to the one that was raised before, right? So a lot of this stuff isn't meant to be taken literally, right? But I mean, 
but so what is the message at the end of the day? What's the message of showing these stories over and over? Mm -hmm. I think the message is uh, the, the glory and the grandeur of the Bet HaMikdash and the way it inspired not only the people there, but, uh, but inspired uh, people in the, in the entire Israel. Um, you know, even on Yom Kippur, it was very different back then because unlike today where it was focused on the, the Bet Knesset, in those days, everybody was just think, watching if they were there or thinking about the Kohen Gadol who was doing everything in the, in the Bet HaMikdash. So it's the way that this is the one center point for all of Israel and, uh, and it's uh, blessing and glory and atonement spreads out over all of Israel. So I think these are just ways of, uh, of expressing um, you know, how, how important it was and the impression it made on, okay. on people that lived there and therefore what, we're, what we've lost and not having it. Um, okay, good. So last section. According to the BNI, um, removing the, the, the placards from the, from the lottery box, that is necessary. If you don't do that, then the Se'irim are not designated. And then you didn't fill the Se'irim for Yom Kippur. However, once you pull them out, you know which is which, that's all you really need to do. Placing them one on the right and one on the left one is you don't have to do it. I mean, you're supposed to do it. If you didn't do it, it's still okay. Everybody knows that this is the one on the one on the right is this, the one on the left is that. So it's not me'akeb. He's even more mekel. He says, you don't even have to take them out. You're supposed to. But, uh, you know, let's say the Kohen just comes up and says, okay, you, you're Lashem. He missed out on the mitzvah that the Torah says you're supposed to do that. But even though he missed out on the mitzvah, the, goats, the goat is still designated and it's still, you can go ahead with the rest of the avodah. Okay, good. Now we're going to figure out these two Amoraim, the Bianai and the Biochanan, early Amoraim. Um, how do they match up with a Machloket Tanaim that's related? The Biuda was of the opinion, this is a Machloket we're going to see later on in the, in the Masechet, but we're introducing it now. The Biuda said that anything that the Kohen Gadol did with Bigdei Lavan, outside of the Kodesh Kodashim is not Me'akev. Anything he does in the Kodesh Kodashim, he's got to do it. But anything outside, even though he's wearing Big De Lavan, um, uh, it's, uh, it, these are, those are uh, things that are not Me'akev. Not I, wouldn't say, I don't want to say optional. You have to do them. But if you didn't do them, you could still continue the rest of, the, the, the rest of it. Um, so according to the Biyuda, since the lottery is done in, in white clothing outside, so it's not me'akeb, because not in Kodesh Kodeshim. So everybody would agree. They're not arguing within the Biuda. Ki peligi They're arguing rather according to the, the Bi'nechemia. He thinks that anything performed in white garments, even whether inside or outside, is me'akeb. If you're wearing white garments, that's a special thing for, for Yom Kippur, and you got to do it. So the one that said it is me'akeb, uh, that's the bianai. These so at least the, the placing on it, the um the 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 pulling it out, right? The pulling it out. It says is me'akeb. That follows a bianechemia because you got to do it with white clothing. It doesn't matter that it's outside. He would say that the bianechemia only said that rule regarding something that is an official avoda. But this, the lottery, is not called an avodah. It's something you have to do, but it's not a, a technical avodah step. And therefore, even Rabbi Nechamiah would agree that it's not me'akev, not the taking out, not the putting in. 
Um, yeah. Okay. So if you so if you did your avodah in Big Days, I have no. If you did your avodah in Big Days, that should have been in Big Days, I have. Is that man? Okay. Uh, that, that's a different question. Big Deza Hav means something that that's something that is done that's on a regular one. day. Um, it's not right. or, or or Musaf, right? So that's something. Then that what what depends what it is. What did what you do? You missed the Tamid Shal Shachar. I mean, those are things you have to do. So uh, most of those things you have to you know, are also things that you have to do. But that's a different question. That's that's. So that's what are they saying here with the Big Day Lavan? You you wear Big Day Lavan for the special Yom Kippur service. Right. So what does it mean special Yom Kippur service? That is mainly focused on Kodesh Kodashim. Right. When we think of when we think of Yom Kippur service, Kodesh Kodashim, he has to put on Big Day Lavan in order to go into Kodesh Kodashim. But there's some things that are in between. He puts on Big Day Lavan, but he's doing it outside Kodesh Kodashim. So that falls in between. Is it just because he happens to be wearing them because he was just inside? So now, you know, he still, he still happens to be wearing them, but it's not really essential. Or if he's wearing Big, big, big Day Lavan, then he's got to do it. Otherwise, the whole Yom Kippur, we didn't get atonement. That's the question. Ika uh, de another version of what we just said is the opposite. In fact, if you follow Rabbi Nechemia, that says anytime you're wearing white, it has, you have to do the service with Me'akev, everyone would agree, all, both of these Amoraim, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Anai, would agree that according to Rabbi Nechemia, yes, you have to do the, the Goral, it's Me'akev. Because uh, you're wearing white, doesn't matter if it's outside. The machloket is within the one who says it's okay, you don't have to do it at all, right? The second opinion before that follows because he says, and it only fits in Kodesh Kodeshim, you have to do it. If it's outside, you don't have to do it. This is done outside. The first opinion would be a night before that says, is Ma'akib. It says it twice in the Pasuk. If it says it twice, that's emphasizing that this is mandatory. This is necessary. You're right. I agree with you. Other things that are done with white outside um, are not, it's okay if you don't, if you don't do it. But this one, if it said it twice, then for sure you do have to do, you, you, you have to do it. And uh, tomorrow we'll see uh, various challenges uh, on each side of this machloket. Baruch Adonai Amen